and welcome to Crackpot Theories, the podcast where everything is plausible until proven otherwise. I'm Sinead. And I'm Circa. Hello. And <laughs> we appear to have a special guest this week, uh, my cat, who will not shut up. Apparently she, ju- she just feels really, really passionate about the subject we're going to be discussing today. She is mega hype for Sweet Valley High. Oh, stop. Um, <laughs> that was my childhood jam. I... I didn't read those books. I ate those books when I was a kid. <laughs> Absolutely ate them. I think I, I started reading them, I think, when I was about 10. And I actually kept reading them right up until I was in college. And then every now and then I dip back into them as an adult and just go, what was I thinking reading these? Like, what kept me coming back? This is really bizarre. Um, I must admit, I only ever watched it in and out when it was on TV back in the 90s when I was, like, really young. Because it was something like Saved by the Bell and, like, Sweet, Sweet Prince. I was about to say Sweet Prince of Bel-Air, but close enough. <laughs> <laughs> the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and stuff. It was that kind of genre and that was just on RT every now and then. I was like, oh, yeah, it's Sweet Family High, cool. I, but uh, I never got fully invested, as I've heard some people get really invested in it. So I'm really excited to hear your, your theories and... Your love for the series. Uh, well, um, I mean, it was a kind of a thing back when I was growing up. You know, there were certain book series that girls just read kind of automatically. Mm-hmm. Like, I started off with the Enid Blyton um, uh, oh, yeah. gir- gir- Girls and Boarding School, um, which I, st- I still find really very readable, just as kind of like this weird snapshot of that time period. Um, Jacqueline Wilson as well was incredibly popular. Not when I was growing up, but then you are significantly younger than me. So, like, back when I was a kid, it was Sweet Valley or you read The Babysitter's Club. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Not yeah. So, and not the so Fantastic much. Five was a thing as well. Yeah. Um, the Oh, yeah. Fantastic Five. No, do you know, I never did those <laughs> or The Secret Seven. It was always just the boarding school stuff. I don't know. I just like reading about boarding schools. I guess, and but like once you get kind of into the Sweet Valley High stuff, and it's all about kind of romance and glamour and all that, um, like the Babysitters Club has a big emphasis on kind of getting crushes on every boy, kind of thing. Of course. Okay, cat, do, do not headbutt the microphone. Get lost. <laughs> yeah, I'm recording in my kitchen. Today. <laughs> um. I'm recording in the kitchen today, so it's slightly noisier than than usual. Um, I, I hope our loyal listeners are going to be able to just put up with that for a bit. Um, Quarantine has been a wild ride for, like, just even recording the podcast through quarantine has been such an experience because I live with other people as well as my husband and every now and then they just walk in completely forgetting that the podcast is happening and you see them slink back out like yeah every time we record at the same time every week I was like no have to have to come in and interrupt but Uh, such is life and such is quarantine which I really hope will be easing soon or at least whenever it needs to be eased I'm I'm personally I'm giving myself an extra two weeks after quarantine officially ends just so that I can kind of bury myself inside the house just you know just be on the safe side I am ever so slightly paranoid but um recording wise I think I'm getting very close to actually digging out a bunker in the back garden (laughs) 
<laughs> just soundproof, like a, just a shed in the back or something. Yeah, like, um, you know, the other great passion of my life, um, things that are apocalyptic in nature. Um, so <laughs> it could double up as a fallout shelter. You Bolt know. open, dead inside. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Um, but going back to the Sweet Valley High series. So, yeah, I read yes. a lot of these books when I was a kid because, um, you know, back then, I think it was more of an American thing that you were either a Babysitter's Club girl or you're a Sweet Valley girl. And um, rarely did you read both because these books came out so quickly that you'd build up a really decent collection of them um, and you'd be sitting there reading them for ages. And a lot of time, I think people reread them as well. I definitely yeah. did. Um, but reading them back as an adult, they're a little bit, there's a sense of wrongness there, you know? Oh. Yeah. The, the, and I think I've cracked why that sense of wrongness is there, uh, which leads me into my theory. I think that Sweet Valley High is a glimpse into somebody's personal health. <laughs> But somebody's personal hell, like their own version of purgatory or something. Not even that. Okay. Um, I know that you're quite familiar with the Silent Hill series. Yes, very, very much so. Yeah. I absolutely love Silent Hill. Yeah, I, I actually love Silent Hill, even though I've never played any of the games because I can't play games like that. But, you know, I've done the, I've watched the Let's Plays. Uh, I'm up to date on all the lore. I actually really enjoyed the film. I know. Not that many people did, but I really yeah, liked I it. thought the film was like campy and good in its own own right. It wasn't as good as say the, the games are, but it was it wasn't the worst thing I ever saw. Yeah, exactly. It was it was decent for what it was, and you know, as as video game films go, it wasn't bad. But you know the way in the Silent Hill series, the demons that they come across are manifestations of their own emotions their own guilt their own um foibles that kind of thing you know especially in silent hill 2 yeah uh, that they're they're a manifestation of the suffering that the person kind of secretly subconsciously wants for himself yeah, yeah. i i think sweet valley high is that for some random teenage girls <laughs> okay all right i'm very intrigued i'm, I'm on board with this Okay, well, um, to start with, I just kind of want to, I want you to think back on what you were like as a teenager. You know, what did you look like? What did you dress like? <laughs> I was, um, I was a hardcore goth, and <laughs> I loved like metal and My Chemical Romance and stuff like that. And I had, I had a lot of piercings still in at the time. I had black hair. Yeah, that was wild and uh, I used to have really red eyeshadow but as a person I was just really quiet because I'm a very weird person like as an adult I am very eccentric but I had to hide that as a teenager because you know you get ostracized for being weird so I was just very quiet but here's that the, was about it. <laughs> it but here's the thing right um weirdness is kind of at the core of being a teenager like mm -hmm. You know, even if you think back to girls that you went to school with who were really attractive, they were still teenagers. And teenagers are always kind of in that weird 
mid-cycle between childhood and adulthood where they all look a bit kind of odd and gawky and, um, you know, just they haven't grown into their features. I think the, the real tell here is when you watch something where the characters are actually being played by teenagers. Like as, some of the Nickelodeon things. Yeah, as a, well, not even Nickelodeon stuff, but um, as opposed to super polished adults trying to play teenagers. Uh, do you remember when I made you watch Welcome to the Dollhouse? Oh, yeah, that was an experience. <laughs> yeah. I'll never quite recover from Welcome to the Dollhouse. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's one of my favourite films, uh, just because I think it's it's one of those things that just encapsulates how awful it is to be a teenager in some respects. Um, and, and especially if you're kind of an ugly duckling teenager as well um i mean don wiener was basically me at that age uh, minus the awful bullying um but definitely the awful clothes and you know the, the massive glasses and all, all the rest um i mean you could tell this was an actual teenager but that's so far removed then from the world of sweet valley high and this is why i think this is the first level of hell in that Almost everybody in Sweet Valley High is stunningly beautiful. They never really have any gawky moments. It, there's a handful of people who are described as being not conventionally pretty or, you know, they started off as being really overweight and then they suddenly lost a load of weight and then became absolutely stunningly gorgeous. Um, of course. <laughs> yeah, or, you know, they were really tall and gawky and all they needed was a nice makeover to make them come out of their shell, and then all of a sudden they were gorgeous as well. Um, but because the books are all centred around Jessica and Elizabeth Wakefield, who are always described as being a perfect size six, long golden hair, and perfect aqua blue green eyes, they are never anything less than gorgeous. Now... Hate them already. <laughs> don't you just... And that goes into a lot of their friends. A lot of their friends are described as being incredibly gorgeous and they're never kind of described as, you know, getting spots or being a bit sweaty or just, you know, wearing things that don't really flatter them. Um, I think Jessica is kind of, she's the playboy twin. She's the, um, she's the real flirty one and all of her friends. She's really are, into fashion and stuff, wasn't she? Yeah, she was a cheerleader, so she was, um, well, she was the superficial twin, but all of her friends were just absolutely drop-dead gorgeous, um, multi always described in the books as every single friend of hers was drop-dead gorgeous. But then you get to Elizabeth, and Elizabeth has this very unfortunate best friend, who is everybody's least favourite character, and um, her name is Enid, um, oh. <laughs> and um, she's just... Like, this is, I think it's her personal hell. I think the focus changes every now and then. There's other girls who get a, a look in where, do you know, like, I wouldn't, because this isn't a video game, I wouldn't call her the playable character, but, ev like, she is trapped there. And because she's Elizabeth Wakefield's best friend, she's always just the lesser compared to Elizabeth. Whereas at least Jessica's friends can kind of keep up with her. And you get these Elizabeth thought clouds where she just thinks about Enid and she goes, well, she's not conventionally pretty, but she has a style all her own. It's just the most 
condescending thing. <laughs> and automatically... Because she's, she's not pretty, but she's pretty ugly, but it's okay. <laughs> I can stomach her. <laughs> yeah, so... Oh, like, God. <laughs> yeah, there's multiple books where people have actual problems. And then, like, one, one book about Enid was just an absolute train wreck. Um, she had this boyfriend... And he was cheating on her. And he had just gotten his airplane, like his light plane pilot's license. And he wanted to break up with her so he could be with this other girl. And he said, well, I promised her a plane ride. So I'll tell you what, I'm going to put her on the plane. And once we're in the air, I'll break up with her then. Um, but he crashed the plane. And um, she did something to her spine and ended up in a wheelchair for the rest of the book. Um and he has to stay with her out of pity. That's how it's framed, is that he ha he's too he's too guilt-ridden to break up with her now, but he has no absolute... That's dark! <laughs> that is so dark! What? And these are for, like, for kids and teenagers? That's just... That's just dark. Poor <laughs> <laughs> uh, And then, like, she gets an entire book dedicated to her problems with her grandmother, which, you know, was... Very exciting altogether. You know, whereas, like, all the rest of the books were, you know, this character's going out with an unsuitable boy, or these are two characters from rival families and they're in love and they want to get married, kind of thing. And then Enid gets Romeo problems with my grandmother and pity date. Oh. oh dear. Yeah, but, like, probably the worst thing about it is that um, everybody is really stoked on the twins like it's almost like a cult in that they are the most popular girls in school both of them like everybody loves Elizabeth and they love Jessica it'd be understandable for Jessica because she's she is a social butterfly but Elizabeth is kind of she's meant to be the the, the nerdy twin I almost I'd hate to say because you could you can't really describe her as a nerd as such but she gets really good grades and she's works for the school paper and then when anybody has a problem she always gets involved and helps out she's an interfering cow but um, <laughs> I didn't realize that that at the time she was always framed as being the person who was always in the right um, except that you know reading back the books as an adult you want to reach through the book and just smack her and say this is none of your business but out god's sake she's <laughs> um, one of those people <laughs> she, she is you see but by that respect, then, almost everybody around them, especially the girls, are just, like, lesser in their eyes because they're being compared constantly to these two paragons of ultimate beauty and purity that are Elizabeth and Jessica Wakefield. Now, I think this is kind of a split dichotomy because, remember, in Silent Hill, there were two pyramid heads. Yeah. And I think there were they were to represent two kind of ideas i'm not sure like, like trying to understand everything about silent hill is probably a, a no-go but there the, is wikis and essays written about trying to explain the ins and outs of silent hill <laughs> i don't think you could study it for years and still have blanks in it like yeah completely um but uh god where was i oh yeah so like when you're talking about like uh you know, a young teenage girl or even a preteen's idea of what makes a perfect girl 
you know, you want to be kind of, I'm the popular cheerleader and I, you know, I have crushes on every boy. Um, but then also be the one who works for the school newspaper and everybody likes because they give really good advice. Prom queen. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's almost like you can't have those qualities in one person, so you split them in two. You know, so you've got this real dichotomy there where you have the purity and the helpfulness on one end, but then you have the popularity and the crushes on every boy on the other part. It's a weird dichotomy. But, you know, that's kind of the, the whole preteen thing, especially if you're a preteen who reads a lot. You know, you, you kind of think about what it would be like if you were, like, really gorgeous and popular and all the boys really liked you. But at the same time, you're like, I'd like to join the school newspaper. I'd like to help people with their problems kind of thing. So if you can't have that in the one person, which you absolutely can because people have a lot of depth. But if you, you have this idea that you can't have that in a single person, so you split them in two. Therefore, you've got two perfect girls. And if you are the person who is experiencing this as their own personal hell, that's two people to compare yourself unfavorably to because you'll never be as good in the eyes of the boys as Jessica and you'll never be as helpful and smart and the person that everybody turns to as Elizabeth. So where are you? You're just kind of this free floating person who is just constantly in their shadow and that's what Enid is you feel kind of bad for their brother as well they had an older brother oh. <laughs> you feel really bad for him that it's like oh no matter what he does he'll never be as good as the two young girls you'd almost feel bad for him like oh stop the brother I mean I could write an entire essay on the brother alone the brother is strange um, but we will discuss that later because he actually comes into a plot point that I'm going to discuss in a few minutes. Um, but it's not just the twins that have this cult-like following. The actual town itself has a cult following in itself. Everybody is completely and utterly devoted to it. Um, All is well on the island. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the... There is a cult-like following for the town itself. Uh, and it really shows up in certain episodes. Like, they get a video camera at one point to make a documentary, some sort of a creative project. And Elizabeth, of course, is in charge of this project. And she says, well, why don't we make a documentary about how amazing Sweet Valley High is? Or how, how amazing Sweet Valley is, full stop. And everybody thinks this is the greatest idea ever. And, like, who wants to watch that? You know? I always find that places that have the nicest names, they're always vaguely unsettling. Like, I'd much prefer to live in a place that had a terrible name because it's like, oh, Doom Island. I'd prefer to live somewhere there because at least they'd be honest. Places like Sweet Valley High, Brimrose Lane, things like that, it just sounds suspicious. Like, what are you hiding? Nothing is as sweet as the name. You, something is going on here. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of why we looked out in that most of the place names in Ireland are, in fact, Irish. So some of them could be nicer. They could be, like, declarations of war. Who knows? Unless you speak Irish, you've no idea. You know? I would totally avoid somewhere called Sweet Valley because it would just be too suspicious. So I would never 
live somewhere that has that nice of a name. <laughs> uh, but but you cannot speak against Sweet Valley for for it is inside you. Um, there's a moment when <laughs> a short story that uh, Elizabeth wrote, um, which is this amazing prodigy story that she's written that win that should win prizes and be on the front cover of the school newspaper. It's like, who puts a short story on the front page of a newspaper? But it's all about somebody like a new kid moving to Sweet Valley and going, oh, this place is amazing. It's like, that sounds like the worst short story ever. Nobody likes short stories with happy endings. No, I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, do you have a short story that's like your favorite short story? Um, I read a lot of Neil Gaiman's short stories. Like, um, Study of Emeralds is a really good short story. Yeah, there you go. But he's usually kind of grim and creepy. His stories are anyway. Usually quite dark. Best kind. <laughs> yeah, um, probably one of my favorite uh, short stories is um, A Good Man Is Hard to Find by Flannery O'Connor. Because, again, it's one of these incredibly grim pieces, um, like very American Gothic. Uh, nothing good happens to anybody in that, in that short story. But that's, that is what makes it interesting. I mean, you can make an interesting short story that's not completely depressing. But there has to be some drama in it as well. I, I wouldn't read a short story where somebody moves to a new town and go, Wow, this place is great. Where's the drama? no narrative hook there at all everything was wonderful the end <laughs> yeah but then if sweet valley if there is a cult built up around us then it makes sense that they think this is absolutely fantastic and legendary uh, short story you know um now the here's where things get really really screwy is we are told the sweet valley is in california we never get a sense of how big it is, but apparently it is big enough to have a ghetto, like the the wrong side of the tracks where all oh, all no. the all the bad characters kind of live or go to hide out. It's it's where all the poor people in Sweet Valley live. Um, it's also big enough that it has a university that is far away enough from the Wakefield's actual house. That they have to live in dorms there. And that's, huh. a, that's a bit confusing because they had cars. You know, everybody drives in in this um, story. So, you know, you, you'd imagine that if it's still in the same town, you'd be able to drive from university back to the home and not actually have to pay the dorm fees. But then again, you know, the twins' parents are never there. So maybe they just wanted to offload the twins to the university and go on permanent holiday. As well, what kind of town has a university? What kind of town? Yeah, like a city would have a university, but a town? I grew up in a town. <laughs> didn't even have a clothes shop. <laughs> even when you take it by kind of American standards, like in America, there's a lot of college towns as in towns that are built around the actual college rather than the other way around um and that kind of that makes sense but um just sweetly university just doesn't really make that much sense um i mean in the first few books the twin's brother was off at university but he was home like every five minutes 
It's like he usually came home to like I I assume get his laundry done, and they were like, oh, he's coming home from college this weekend. Let's throw him a party, which they did like every single weekend, because he came home every single weekend. They they throw a, a ludicrous amount of parties in this series. Um, now here that, that confetti that confetti uh economy going. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, it's kind of understandable that one girl throws a huge amount of parties because she's filthy rich. Um. So she's kind of I think she's pulling a bit of a Great Gatsby thing where it's just you know here come spend my money drink my alcohol. Um, admire my wonderful house pay attention to me kind of thing um but we will talk about her later because i could do an entire crackpot theory just about her um <laughs> but we will talk about her in a minute now here's a thing that was actually pointed out by the podcast double love which is an in-depth podcast going over almost every book in the sweet valley series um, and the hosts happen to be Irish as well, which is always fun. Um, it's a really good podcast. I highly recommend it. Uh, I am not being paid to endorse this podcast in any way. They don't know that I'm endorsing them. I'm going to have to ask them for permission later. But, disclaimer. <laughs> yeah, disclaimer. Um, I, I may, in fact, have to donkey noise this entire section. But what they pointed out was that uh, there is a bar on the outskirts of town. It's called Kelly's and it's where all the lowlifes hang out. It's it's your kind of um do you remember that bar in the SpongeBob film where all the tough guys oh, were hanging out? Salty Splatoon. <laughs> yes, it, it's that kind of bar. Um like nobody good hangs out there. Not even you know, nobody stops by at the weekend just for a pint kind of thing <laughs> you know like normal people would do you don't get any kind of um couples going out for a weekend drink or anything kelly's is just where all the bad people go but it seems to be impossible to get to kelly's in a normal fashion you either have to hitchhike there if you are a person if you're a character in one of the books and you want to go to kelly's because you're you're from the wrong side of the tracks and you're out of control you have to hitchhike in order to get there. Uh, <laughs> what if it's a town? Wouldn't you be able to walk? <laughs> no, it gets worse. If you ha if you don't hitchhike there, if you are a person that has just popped up in the last five minutes, um, you have to kidnap somebody in order to get them there. What? There's a couple of kidnaps that happen and they end up at Kelly's. And then... <laughs> Then you're the only way other characters allowed in is if they're actually going there to rescue someone. Like it's just I'm just trying to think of the logic there because if you get kidnapped, you know you're being brought to this bar. Wouldn't there be police officers just like ah, someone's gone missing? They're definitely at Kelly's. <laughs> you... It's very obvious. <laughs> No, no, you'd think, but this is an Eldritch location, right? This okay. <laughs> clearly exists on some other plane of reality to the one that we are experiencing. Um, so that, like, I, I think it's kind of like um, the convenience store in Twin Peaks when 
it, it appears when somebody has been kidnapped or when somebody is hitchhiking and holding people to ransom, it's just like, we want to go to Kelly's. Then Ke Kelly's materializes because they said... requirements. Yes, it, it operates on the same logic. It's there for the ne'er-do-wells to go and have a drink while they're doing their ne'er-do-well deals. There's a, there's a good few kidnaps in all of the books, including the university's ones. And in the Sweet Valley High series, a lot of the kidnapped victims end up in Kelly's. And then, you know, they're like, oh, we'll go to, if they're, they're at Kelly's now, we'd better round up a couple of the football players and go to Kelly's and rescue them. And therefore, because they have done the ritual of Kelly's, they are also allowed to enter Kelly's in order to rescue someone. <laughs> I'm just picturing, like, uh, since you mentioned it, the salty platoon from Spongebob, but, like, the inside of it must be painted with, like, demon blood or something. <laughs> and just be like, ah, yes, the satanic place of Kelly's. <laughs> Although there's one really weird bit in one of the books where um, this character is being kind of ostracized by people and uh, she's really sad about it. And she starts hanging out with this guy who's, you know, he's up to no good and he's from the wrong side of the tracks. He's actually just kind of a misunderstood loner. Like if, if it had been written during our time period, I think he would have been a goth. Uh, I, I think he was kind of a very low level goth anyway. But he brought her to Kelly's so he knows the ritual and therefore he's able to enter with impunity but because she's the the main character in this book he kind of has to usher her in she can't get there on her own but he brings her there and it is relatively normal in there it just sounds like a normal bar like where you go in and you have a drink you know you order a beer they don't necessarily ask for ID who's there apparently and I, th I think that's like that's the big draw of Kelly's is that all the underage ne'er-do-wells go there because they never ask for ID. But obviously, you know, if this is a place of ritual, then IDs mean nothing there. I'm, I'm actually thinking of something that would fit in with this. Have you watched Full Metal Alchemist? Of course. You know how the entirety of a mistress was built on a transmutation circle? Yeah. Could Sweet Valley High be based off of like a huge pentagram or something? With like one of the epicenters being the, the high school and then the university and then the, the bar. Is there other places they go to? They, there are a few other like re reoccurring locations that could be all part of this giant pentagram of Satan. <laughs> well, I mean, there's them all. Mall. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's the mall, the school, the university, and the Dairy Burger, which is where everybody goes to eat. Uh, they order a lot of clams there for some reason. They have a clam special. This was, again, mentioned on the Double Love podcast, um, where, you know. Why would you go to a burger bar and order clams? What's wrong with you? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, again, it's it's possibly an eldritch location where the clams are part of some ritual. I I don't know. Um, <laughs> I I mean maybe this is not a satanic cult. Maybe this is some other really obscure cult that we've never heard of where they worship <laughs> a giant clam. I don't know. I just remembered the Simpsons. Very <laughs> steamed clams. No steamed clams. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so there's a massive misunderstanding there. Um, okay, so moving, <laughs> moving on. Along swiftly. Moving on from the Eldritch location, right? Um, Elizabeth has a nature to her in that no matter who the book is about, no matter what problem that person is having, Elizabeth will find out and she will interfere. She has to be involved in absolutely everything. Um, and sometimes you're a new student. Sometimes you're a dropout. Sometimes you are a distant relative. Jessica's not as bad for this. But Liz just has to get involved in absolutely everybody's business. Even if the book starts off with your, your viewpoint character, the person who is currently uh, in this circle of hell, um, Jessica might get a, a throwaway mention. She might pop in. There's usually a B plot. You know, you get your A plot and your B plot and Jessica's doing something stupid. I will give the book credit for occasionally making Jessica look stupid. Um, like stupid in all the most beautiful and glamorous ways, of course. But um, Elizabeth has never really given that. She's always just this absolute paragon of purity. But if you have a problem, Elizabeth is going to find out. And she's going to zero in on you. And she's going to stick her oar in. And sometimes it, it's for the worst because she gets you in trouble. Um, but yeah, like if, if you have some sort of a problem, Elizabeth is like a heat-seeking missile and she'll have to get involved. Um, which is really unfortunate then because in certain places she's incredibly victim-blamey. Oh. Yeah, but we're, we're, we'll talk about... Uh, that in a minute because we're going to be talking about my favorite character in a bit um, and one of the books where I wanted to reach in and give Elizabeth a massive smack across the face um, but that's for a little while after this um, Jessica has got four dead partners that I have counted uh, going through Sweet Valley High and then Sweet Valley University um, what? yeah Four. Yeah, she starts off, um, there's Sam, who is her boyfriend, who gets, um, he gets into an ac a car accident, um, coming back from the prom, and he dies. And then the next guy is this guy, Christian, and she's, like, there's this high school rivalry that's really, really stupid. Um, and, like, he falls into a pool and hits his head and drowns. Uh, and then in Sweet Valley University, she has um, that professor that she dated that drove himself off the cliff. Um, and then there's a police officer that she went out with briefly. Uh, I, I stopped reading after that, but I know that he apparently died. Um, she also had a very short-lived marriage in Sweet Valley University where she dropped out of college and got an actual job, married the guy, the relationship turned really bad, and then he got shot by her brother uh, and ended up in a wheelchair. I I have words. Um, you would not be okay after that. At all. The whole, the whole husband um, getting married getting divorced, getting shot by your brother who nearly went to jail for it. All this happens without their parents finding out. Well, the parents didn't even know that they were married, like. 
No, they didn't know they were married. They didn't know that they split up. They didn't know that she had to get divorced. They didn't know about uh, their son shooting their their um, daughter's, their teenage daughter's husband. They didn't know any of that. How old was she? Like 18, maybe 19 at a push. Good Lord. Yeah. So. That was a poor decision. <laughs> Yeah, funnily enough, despite Elizabeth's heat-seeking missile nature when it comes to problems, uh, she missed a lot of that. So it's like that's her only blind spot, and that kind of makes me think that they are both kind of, in a way, the same person. But, I mean, they are identical twins, which only happens when an egg splits. So, you know. You would not be okay with that. You would definitely, after the third one, you'd start thinking you were cursed. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. But she gets over it very, very quickly. She gets back to normal. Like, um, shortly after the second boyfriend dies, Jessica goes off to be a camp counsellor at uh, this the series of books. There's three of them in the series. And... They appear to have been based on the slasher film Sleepaway Camp, which is... Oh, good Lord. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen Sleepaway Camp? No, but I did watch a YouTube video on it. It's, it's beautiful. It is a masterpiece. Um, but I don't know. I think the person, the ghostwriter who wrote that book, because Francine Pascal didn't actually write that many of the books herself. She wrote a couple, and then she passed the rest of them on to a ghostwriter and they kind of went a little bit hog wild with them. Um, and, uh, oh God, where was I? I got sidetracked. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, she becomes a camp, camp counsellor at some sleepaway camp and uh, promptly falls in love with another guy. She has a new guy pretty much every single book. Like, it's sociopathic in nature and people have actually consider Jessica to be a sociopath because just nothing seems to affect her. She's like Teflon. Just bounces off her. It's like, oh no, my boyfriend's dead. Ah, well. This is guy's she, really cute. Is she like Debbie from the Adams family? No, because she doesn't deliberately kill them herself. But there... That we know of. That we know of. <laughs> there might... suspicious. <laughs> There might be a ritualistic aspect to it all. Uh, I'm thinking that they are some sort of sacrifice. Um, <laughs> you know, and she's got, she clearly has different requirements than Elizabeth does. But getting back to Elizabeth. Um, and another factor in me thinking that this is Enid's personal hell. Elizabeth drops her best friend so many times for other girls. Like... I'm sure you've known somebody who you might have been friends with, who they were they were your absolute best friend and you did everything together until somebody better came along. And then they just dropped you and went full tilt at that other person. Yeah. Yeah, I think almost everybody has that kind of experience with someone because those people, are they're in every walk of life. Um, Elizabeth does that all the time. She sometimes... Friends from her childhood will come back and she'll be like, oh, this was my best friend in childhood. I'm going to go hang out with her. See you later, Enid. Even when she's had plans with Enid. Like, there was this whole subplot where her best friend from middle school came back. 
and she was supposed to go and stay at a cabin that Enid had, like, I think rented from uh, an aunt of hers. And she kept rearranging it. She kept pushing Enid to rearrange it to suit this girl who just came back into town. Um, and she kept, like, forgetting that she had plans with Enid and leaving her stranded in places. And Enid had to just put up with all of this. Um, it's pretty awful, really. In the Summer Camp miniseries, which, again, that's the Sleepaway Camp series, um, Elizabeth drops her... She doesn't just drop her, actually, for this person that she used to hang out with uh, at the camp. And she never writes to Enid or gives her a phone call to let her know what's going on. But she also does this to her boyfriend a lot. Elizabeth kind of has... Elizabeth has um, maybe two boyfriends throughout the entire series. Um, and one of them, Todd, is a constant right up until the university series. Every time she goes somewhere, she drops Todd like a hot rock. Every single time. At the sleepaway camp thing, she dropped him for this, this camp counselor that she saw doing a really amazing play type thing. And she's like, oh, he's so dreamy. I want him. And she went and got him, even though she had a boyfriend. Um, the like that's just that one. Um, there's an au pair mini series that I was seriously salty over, because you you know how serious <laughs> yeah you know how seriously I take childcare in general. Yeah. All right, and and I would not have hired these people as au pairs at all. They were just too self involved to actually do anything. But Elizabeth actually gets with the crown prince of France because apparently in this world there is a fictional version of france where there is still a royal family <laughs> majestic <laughs> why couldn't they have picked a european country that actually still has a monarchy like the netherlands or something Duh, I, I don't know but there's this really weird fictional europe where they got to stay in a fairy tale castle and they they had a room on top of a tower and then Elizabeth had a chance meeting in a maze with the crown prince of this country and they fell desperately in love and she conveniently forgot that she has a boyfriend that she's already dropped once before, if not more times than that. And it keeps happening in the university series as well. It, it's desperate, actually, because herself and Todd finally break up in the university series and she gets this new guy, Tom, and she does the exact same thing with him. Every time she goes somewhere she meets a new guy and she's like madly in love and she's like tom who's tom who cares um at least at least with jessica meeting a new man everywhere she goes jessica never really cheats on any of her boyfriends but she does like once as far as i can remember but she doesn't do it nearly as much as elizabeth and elizabeth is always held up as this moral standard like <laughs> like that is not normal behavior at all um <clears throat> so sorry my throat's getting a little bit raw um you're getting emotional <laughs> um, it's all the salt i'm very very salty it's still really salty about the the old hair thing um no we're gonna move on actually because we're getting close to the end to everybody's favorite character and i do not say this lightly but this do, this was my favorite character in, in the books. And I know a load of people who did the recaps back in the days and did a lot of the blog writing about it. Uh, Lila Fowler was 
their favourite character and is my favourite character and should really be everybody's favourite character. She's not a main character in the entire series because she doesn't need to be. She's got a presence in the books, no matter what the book is about. She's always just kind of there in the background. She's filthy rich. She's gorgeous. She's on Jessica's level, even though like Jessica's meant to be the main character of this book. But she never kind of fades into the shadows the same way that Enid does with Elizabeth. She's always kind of like a force to be reckoned with. And the two of them, I actually like their friendship better than I like Elizabeth and Enid's for obvious reasons. But it's because they have a real antagonistic relationship in that they fight over the same boys from time to time and they snipe at each other a lot. But they, Enemy. <laughs> yeah, no, it's in the kind of the fun bantery way that you do your BFF, you know? Like, Elizabeth and Nina never have that dynamic, really. Um, but I think that Lila is the pyramid head of the series. Um, she's not a main character, but she is the most iconic. And also, the people that cross her have a tendency to turn up dead. <laughs> now, that's a power to have and a half. <laughs> yeah. Um, she... Also, she like she doesn't care about anything that anybody really does to her most of the time. She's just kind of like impervious to everything around her through force of personality. But when people do genuinely cross her, there was, um, there was actually a very powerful book written um, where she went on a date with a guy and he assaulted her. Um, and the rest of the books after that were just kind of her getting over the, that situation. And it was... It was surprisingly deep, as in it was handled relatively well for a book of that nature. Um, very sad, kind of harrowing as well. Um, but then things got a little bit more soap opery as time went on. Um, this this was a thing where I wanted to reach inside the book and slap Elizabeth because this is where she got victim blamey, where she was like, kind of, well, you know, Lila does go out with a lot of boys. Maybe she kind of brought it on herself. Kind of thing. Ooh, yeah. No, 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 no. But where it got real soap opera is after a couple of books, um, she was Lila was suspected of setting fire to her house. Um, and it turns out it was the guy that assaulted her was trying to frame her for arson. And uh, it, he shouldn't have crossed her because he ended up dead. He blew himself up with a pipe bomb. <laughs> Karma. Well, here's where karma doesn't necessarily come into it because this is, you know, the character I'm about to talk about was a kind of a relatively innocent person. Uh, Regina Morrow was this girl who moved to town. She was very rich and she was very beautiful and she had a modeling contract and um, Lila tried to sign up with the same agency she was with and the modeling agent told her that her face was a bit too flat for editorial. Um. And like a couple of books after that, um, Regina got in with the bad crowd and uh, overdosed on drugs and died. Oh shit! Yeah, um, but she oh, crossed. She crossed Lila. So, you know, um, in two of the university books, um, Lila gets suckered into relationships with people who are crazy. And they also end up dead. Um, because, again, you, you can't cross her. You're going to end up dead. 
And, and then at the very start of the university books, she very impulsively gets married. She doesn't do it in the way that Jessica does. Jessica does it like a, an idiot and just kind of falls for the first guy with a motorbike that she finds. Whereas Lila finds an Italian count to marry. <laughs> who is filled, Yeah, like she goes to Italy on holiday, meets this guy, they get married, and they're really, really happy. Like, it's not the... You know, Jessica's marriage is really volatile and kind of scary. And Lila's is absolutely fine and perfect, right? Up until the guy dies in a ski in a jet ski accident. Of course. That lethal jet ski, the serial killer of every happy marriage. <laughs> but what's great about it is, I like... I think there was a bit of a thing in the first few books where they were trying to almost write Lila out of the series. Now, they did this with Enid as well. Enid decided that she wanted to change up her her personality and her image before she went to university. She changed her name to something more glamorous. And, you know, she got involved with a basketball player and everything was real glamorous. And then Elizabeth sabotaged that by writing an expose about not just Enid's boyfriend, but her own ex-boyfriend, Todd, and destroyed both of their lives. Um, so after that, Enid just kind of fades away in the college books. It's super, super sad, actually. It's, it's just that she becomes almost like this non-entity. Um, whereas Lila was like, oh, oh, you're trying to write me out of the series, are you? Okay, well, fine. Now I don't have a husband. He got blown up by a jet ski. I'm coming back. I'm in university now. What are you going to do? kind of thing you know it's almost like you know when we were talking about uh the harry potter twin peaks thing where um it's like luna decided on her own she was going to cross over from the twin peaks universe into the harry potter universe and just by sheer force of will is (laughs) who will stop me (laughs) you do not have the power to stop me um so yeah like we're Enid just kind of fades into the background, just becomes a footnote in Elizabeth and Jessica's story because this is her version of hell. The The demon reigns supreme over the entire franchise and just is continues to reign supreme over everything. <laughs> I love it. Who would be Satan in this? I Probably the writer. Um... Well, I mean, I, I, I forgot to mention that um, Francine Pascal, she she wrote a couple of the books and then she let the ghostwriters write the rest of them. She came back years later and she wrote Sweet Valley Confidential, which is like a, a, an updated racy version of um, of the books. And it was the worst thing I have ever read in my life. I have read better fan fiction in my time, better bad fan fiction in my time. And, oh dear. <laughs> yeah, she just kind of went in and destroyed everybody's character. But it it failed as far as I can tell and just got buried and nobody really talks about it anymore. So, you know, again, I don't know, maybe maybe Lila through sheer force of will took over from Francine Pascal and now rules as Satan. I love it. <laughs> she does have I that love it. she does have that redhead energy. You know. that, um, that was a trip. Yeah. Um, how do you feel <laughs> after all that? 
<laughs> I don't know about the tear side of things, but that was very entertaining. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, uh, um, I'm glad I've entertained you. I hope I'm going to entertain more people. Um, uh, and in with our next theory, uh, which is a bit of a mystery for now, because I'm still working on notes on several different theories. So. Uh, we're we're getting to the point where we've done so many of our theories that we're starting to have to generate brand new ones like all the time. So I fully expect that they're just going to get weirder and weirder as time goes on. <laughs> but that's kind of the fun part of it. It's when you have to properly limber up and do some yoga before you sit down to the podcast. Like, ooh, how far am I going to stretch this time? Ah, Pinocchio is secretly the cookie monster. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I do have a great Disney one coming up, uh, but you know, I'm not, I'm not going to give any spoilers. Um, Just needless to say, there's an awful lot of history to wade through before I even begin to tackle that one. Um, So I guess we'd better sign off. Yes. uh, This has been uh, crackpot theories. Uh, The truth is out there and it's, significantly weirder than you'd ever think. We are on Twitter, we are on Instagram, we are on Tumblr, we're on Buzzsprout and iTunes and Spotify and all of those wonderful places where you get all of the best podcasts, pod- podcasts, 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 <laughs> including us, if uh, you think that we're a good Please do contact us on Twitter if you have any ideas of yourself, if you have any theories you want to share with us, if you want to talk, if you want to tell us we're good or bad or otherwise. And we really do appreciate you listening to us, even with the bad audio during the quarantine. Eventually, we will get back to our lovely, crisp, clear bunker. And uh, thank you so much for supporting us. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Good night. Bye.